there. Before you start listening, please make sure to subscribe to this podcast. This episode contains language and content of an explicit nature. Listener discretion is advised. Before a song is released, a record is produced, or a chorus is written, the musicians that write them think a lot. They live a lot, and they feel a lot. Before the chorus dives into the stories and experiences that shape these artists, and ultimately, the music we hear. I'm your host, Sophia Lopercaro, and this episode's guest is Gen. In terms of like something you have a creative investment in, I think it's not something that you can do with just anyone. And it's, I'm always grateful to be, you know, like in a partnership such as this, where it very much feels like a bond for life in a weird way. Hey guys, hope you're doing well and welcome to this week's episode. It feels like this past week has been both really quiet and really hectic at the same time. I think just it it takes, I guess, like a couple months for everything in the sort of music world to like pick up, at least in terms of like albums coming out. Um, But then in terms of live shows and everything, things are still very much going on. So, yeah, it's been a weird combination of both. But. I've been out and about a lot this week um, to the point that I kind of needed to nap a lot yesterday (laughs) to sort of catch up on sleep. But, you know, you got to do what you got to do sometimes. And, you know, it's as much as I love being out, it's important to take care of yourself, too. So listen to your body. Um, But, yeah, that aside, I, I got to see some of my friends play some really incredible shows this week. Up first, I saw my friend Jackson Singleton play at a Jeff Buckley tribute night and then also play a couple or play a strip back set of some of his own songs a little later in the week. Um, I'm a little newer to Jackson's uh, original music, but I know him from some of the jam nights that I go to. And it's been really exciting to hear yet another person I know's original music a lot more and get to see them play it live he's got this like very like high breathy voice that just sounds super like ethereal and awesome um and it's also really trippy and wonderful I don't know it's it's kind of a hard one to explain but I definitely recommend going and checking his stuff out he's got some new music coming out early next month as well so get ahead of that while you can I also finally got to go and see my friends Garbage Barbie play a house show over the weekend I've been wanting to see them live for a while I, you know, I heard about their music through other friends. I also know them from, or I know their their frontman Fletcher from the jam nights that I go to. So I've seen him playing other people's music. And then I've heard uh, Garbage Barbie's music online, but I've never got to see it live. And holy shit, it was a fun show. I mean, like, Fletcher was climbing on speakers and jumping into the crowd and rolling on the floor. He is such an incredible frontman. The musicianship of the rest of the band is unbelievable as well. So it's just this like high octane, chaotic DIY basement show. Everything that you could possibly want on a Saturday night. And it was prom themed. So it was basically a bunch of very like alternative adults in alternative promy clothes basically the prom that we didn't have when we were teenagers and it was fucking great 
I I loved it, and I I do love an excuse to to dress up and and be camp and be creative with with the way I dress. So all in all, it was a fantastic night. What else is there to say? I think otherwise, yeah, like I said, it's been a lot of trying to find moments of tranquility this week and and finding moments to rest. I mean, this next month is going to be really hectic, both on the podcast front and just in general. Like I said, as as we get towards the end of February and March approaches, the music industry really really comes alive for the year. I mean, South by Southwest is in March and I'm going to be going this year. So that is going to be a wild, busy week, but so fun. I haven't been to South by Southwest in about five years and I'm so stoked to be going back and hopefully I will have a lot of good stuff to report back on. I'll definitely try and tell you some of my tips from South by Southwest and plan some other really good content so we can, yeah, kind of get the inside scoop on some good things that are coming out in the music industry. I cannot wait. Speaking of emerging artists, I think it's about time that we start talking about this week's guest. Gen. So Gen are a Maltese slash British band currently living in Brighton in the UK. Their sound, how do I explain it? I mean, I think kind of based on some of the stuff we're going to talk about later, it sounds like if French existential poetry was music. And I know that sounds like a really pretentious explanation, but bear with me for a minute. It's just very dark and brooding and experimental and there's so many elements that go into it and yet it sounds effortlessly cool. I think that you guys are going to love to get to hear their music. It's really something special and we got to talk about their new album or, or their 2023 album Unum which means one and it's sort of for disparate identities trying to come together to create a unified identity. It's about individual pursuits of identity, especially as immigrants living in the UK. Um, so many of the members of the band are queer, so everything that comes with those aspects of the search of one's identity. Um, and just also all of the larger existential questions and sort of existential weight that we can feel as we're navigating these things. So... It was a really just rich conversation to get to have, and I'm so excited for you to get to hear it. I don't think I'm going to say much more because, as always, I want to leave it to the conversation to kind of speak for itself. So without further ado, this is my conversation with Gen. There's there's certain ways that these tracks interconnect, but they also stand on their own really beautifully. So I kind of wanted to, like give them each their own space. That being said, I do kind of want to talk about the first two tracks together because they kind of at least thematically feel like sister tracks to me. Is that like a fairest thing to to notice? There's okay. definitely like the the there was an element of like twinning with uh, all of the songs actually. So they all kind of have like a counterpart song. Mm. Um, with some of them, I think it's more evident than others, but it was definitely like something that was um, verbalized along the along the way when we were you know um, dotting the i's, crossing the t's, putting everything together, being uh, what's the word uh, conceptually cohesive. Mm. 
Was it mainly just just for the sake of like cohesiveness or was there like another reason that you kind of had these sort of like pairings across the record? Um, I I think um, um, I think we set out the, the, the track list like quite late. To be fair, so we didn't write in order or, or anything. Um, I know that the sister, the, the sister of and the merchant of, yeah, they were like sister tracks from the beginning. We wrote the merchant of first, and then the sister of like came about in a way, and we we're like, oh, they kind of sound similar, but yeah, I guess you know, we kind of wrote the album at a certain point in our life and that kind of trickled down to the track list and the theme and the songs themselves. So, yeah, I think it was more of like a case of circumstance rather than wanting to create some sort of concept uh, album or something. Okay. Well, yeah. there's always an underlying concept, though, to an extent. Yeah, so, yeah. And this is definitely something that, like... Every time we dip into this stuff, I'm always thinking, I'm trying to channel our vocalist Leo because they they can go into this stuff incredibly at length. But I know that before, I mean, before writing every time in terms of especially like lyricism and the theming in terms of like, you know, the image, the name, blah, blah. It's always, uh, it's not a concept album in the sense of like, um, you know, like some of them where it's following, say, a narrative in a, what's the word like kind of a surface level sense but there is a cohesive um theming around it because it's all it's all kind of a snapshot of what life is at that point really and to that end obviously like they're all feeding um every song is like a different subset from like, coming from the same place if that makes sense Absolutely. so it's uh it's tied by but by more like abstract concepts than uh than a typical definition of a concept album, I think. Yeah, that's fair. And it's funny you say that. This is something I've said many times on this podcast. And so for anyone listening who has heard me say this like five times already, I'm really sorry. But I often say that I feel like unconscious concept albums are very much a thing because like even if you bring two songs together that were written five years apart, there's some subconscious reason that you're bringing those two songs together, you know, or conscious reason, you know, sometimes people know. But I think that's kind of the beauty of of putting a record together. Yeah, 100%. I think when you're kind of in the album headspace, um, you're kind of writing for a project. So, yeah, unconsciously kind of there is this thing that kind of, you know, projects into something that's cohesive in a way or that has some sort of underlying theme or things happen in your life during that time that obviously permeates into the music. So yeah, I I agree with what you're saying. Basically, I think that's very much the case with mm -hmm. this with our debut album. Yeah, and I going back to those first two songs. Even though I know you said that the track list came later, one thing that I really like about these two songs being at the head of the album is that they kind of feel like the beginning of a journey. Like especially because they both feel very restless. Like in a place that you know, maybe later in the record someone's going to break out of, but in these, like, beginning songs, they're still stuck, you know? Yeah, it's really interesting you say that because actually 
Romares was the very first song we wrote and Days and Nights was the very last. Really? So it's really interesting because it's kind of like, it makes it feel a bit cyclical in that to that end. And I think... I think Romares was always going to be the first song, to be honest, because it's kind of like, I feel like it definitely sort of set a very general tone for what um, the whole album is in a way where, you know, obviously I think every track definitely has its own thing. You know, some tracks lean more to like one tone, whereas the other tracks are more the other way. But then Romares, I think is truly like, the the everything and the kitchen sink song um but in a really in you know in a way that obviously works you know if it didn't yeah. work it wouldn't be there <laughs> but um yeah and i i do definitely think that's really cool and then days and nights like acts as a really good counterpart to that because i think it was another song that in a weird way came by naturally which feels it's always feels a bit pretentious to say that's like oh you know we didn't even try and it happened um but in truth it's more that like kind of i think because at that point we'd really much you know kind of like cemented the thread we were following creatively so you know it's sort of it it happened yeah it happened and now it's there yeah and it works perfectly i think with that going into the next two tracks we have a muse in limbo and Eloise. Um, I think I'm saying that right. Is it Eloise or Eloise? Eloise. Eloise. Yeah, yeah. I don't know why I think... You know what? No, I'm thinking... So I'm, I'm originally from Montreal, Canada, so I speak French. Uh, so. That's why. That's why. Yeah. So I'm forgetting because if it, if there wasn't the little accent on the I in E, it would be Eloise, but it's E. It's been a minute since I've had like a proper French grammar class. I left Canada 10 years ago. So yeah, Um, but it feels like there's an energy almost of like wanting to break out or or almost like a rebirth on these kind of songs. And and I I say this again another thing I say often but it's the case is that I'll often try and like interpret things but then I'll kind of present it to whoever I'm talking to and be like if I am totally full of shit just like be like hey that's not it and I kind of I like having that conversation and learning what the song's really about and guessing for me is just kind of the starting point of of opening up that conversation yeah i mean uh i mean i think those two tracks um uh, i forgot actually how they came about because sometimes when we're jamming and songs come about it's like some sort of magic that happens um but i know that musically they're more kind of constrained in a way then, for example, Romares or Days and Nights, um, they, they're kind of a bit trip-hoppy as well, um, apart from that solo, which I wanted to do at the end of Eloise, just because a lot of boys back home used to say that I can't play solo, so I'm like, you know... Oh, piss this off. Is, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah this, is, this is my response, okay? This is my petty response to this. Yeah, but I think, uh, I think between us, we really discuss kind of the topic of mental health, um and uh, kind of life experiences and what we're going through at that time so it's kind of i think what leo writes is kind of a very nuanced diary of what they are going through and also what we are going through together weirdly enough we kind of end up having similar experiences in life at the same time which is so weird um i guess we're very much in tune in that sense and uh, I think it 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 comes across 
and and the lyrics and the music as as well. I know that in terms of mental health, we all struggle with a lot of shit. Basically, we're all neurodiverse, Same. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we suffer yeah. like I mean, we kind of you know this whole maybe you know a lot. I guess uh, most artists are like that. But in our case, having four people in a band with a mixture of shit, you know, is good. But in other, you know, circumstances, it's, it, it can get a bit too much. But I guess it works when you're writing music because you can really channel what you're feeling and the anxieties that you're going through. And, you know, depression is a big theme in this kind of uh, the album as well. Um, so I think those two tunes really showcase that that kind of mental space of yeah. you know like or that struggle kind of between um between the mundane and you know and having to go about life while having all this internal turmoil um yeah which i think is a big um, topic for us both in the music as well as between us as a band yeah, that's it's an interesting thing to think about. I mean, I definitely feel like even the record as a whole has a very restless energy. And I, by the way, also am diagnosed with depression and OCD. Um, so those that's my my little neuro spicy uh, corner of the world. But yeah, that's neuro spicy is like a Gen Z term that I've heard, and I am fully stealing. Oh it from yeah, because neuro spicy. I think, think it's the best. It's the best. Um, it's the only way that I am describing people like us from now on because it is so much more fun. Um, but, you know, like I know that sort of like stagnant yet restless feeling that we get when we're dealing with depression. Like even just like the fact that the opening line of this whole record is I want to stay in all day. Like and and that it's got those like kind of wonky chords behind it. Like you can feel you're like, ah, like I need to do something, but I can't do anything like I I, I could feel that energy in it very much as someone who's experienced it. So I know what yeah. it feels like. And something I guess I, I forgot to mention as well is that during that this particular time when we're writing the album, we're having a lot of discussion on identity. Mm. Um, whether that's kind of us three, uh, Leanne, me and Leona, finding our feet as immigrants in the UK because we're or originally from Malta. Then kind of, you know, Sophia also comes from a very diverse background, like she's Jamaican, British, Portuguese. So we're kind of trying to find what our identity is, kind of, as well. Um, as as well as the queer element, which I guess the others can talk about, since I'm the token Hattie in this band. <laughs> so I guess it's all... And Louise, I know that it comes from Portrait of a Lady on Fire, which is kind of a queer classic as well so um, yeah I guess it was a bit of an existential crisis and self-discovery and growth like a coming of age kind of album in a way when we're kind of asserting our identity both as yeah. individuals and both as a collective yeah, and I when I was reading up on this record there was a lot about identity for sure like so as, as you just said and I think that's kind of some of the lens that I took, like, as I was analyzing the record. It's why, like, you know, I, I talked about these, I, like, I felt like I had read, like, this idea of, like, rebirth on some of the songs because it almost felt like these, like, kind of click moments and, like, trying to find oneself and 
and kind of sit in that, you know, like I wondered if that was something that was there, you know. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I think it's very much and I do think that it's um, I mean, so far in songwriting with the stuff, you know, like that we've released so far, I think the reconciliation of identity has definitely has a presence. I think um, Unum is quite um, strong in presenting that in the sense of like, I don't know. Uh, sometimes I imagine it as it's, it's literally just you like standing in front of the mirror, being like, "Oh God, who am I?" Um, it doesn't always have to be in that dramatic because it's it, there is that aspect of it. In fact, I'm pretty sure, like, I think to an extent, like Eloise and the Muse, like for example, from the queer angle, there's a little bit of that, like, um, that sort of the almost the like the the closeted feeling, the, like the pining, the. sort of the, the reconciliation of those feelings as you're learning who you are. And, and I know that that's like um, influenced the lyrics and that sort of thing um, with those songs. Um, but also, you know, like it's not, it's not all in the, like, you know, the existential again, oh, oh who am I? But also um, there's an element of it that is kind of like, who are we as we converge? Because, and yeah. that's, That's a bit that's really fun in terms of like both the musical sense, you know, like the lyrical sense, even though obviously, again, um, Leo does write the lyrics, but it's stuff that we, you know, we talk about on a conceptual level as well. So it's kind of like, you know, everybody is on the same page there about it's very much, you know, for for the differences and the commonalities we have, there's this really... Um, I think a big part of all this is the the footprint we have where again we kind of all converge into one one big hive mind, one oneness, unum mm -hmm. theming. Yeah. Um yeah. <laughs> it's uh but yeah, uh, I, I think it's kinda cool. I think it's pretty cool. I agree. It's it's kind of like the weaving of the tapestry and like trying to make all the different colors and patterns go well together, but they do work like You know, I mean, if we're talking about the sound of this record, you know, again, in reading up, I know that you guys all have very diverse influences, but they pair so beautifully together. And even though there's diverse ideas, they still somehow feel very unified and still feel very cool. Like it doesn't it still sounds very effortless. It doesn't sound like, you know, like a circus act of like, look at me, look at all the stuff I'm trying to do. Oh, my God. You know, it feels very like, yeah, we're just kind of in it and we're just. Like, it just kind of works, you know? So you definitely have found that sort of, at least on a sonic level, that oneness that you're striving for. Thank you so oh, much. That's, yeah, that's good to hear from someone else. Because sometimes, you know, you kind of have these questions about how other people are perceiving things. But as you said, it kind of, all of us come from different backgrounds in a way. But I think the fact that we really get on personally and we're like siblings at this point, there's kind of this sense of sisterhood. It really shows in the music because we each give each other space. So, for example, if Leanne wants to do a complex bass part, for example, which she does often, I'm like, yeah, I don't mind sitting back and just playing notes or adding a bit of, you know. a sprinkle of reverb and, and stuff. Whereas in some in some instances, for example, with other people, I've kind of experienced a case where everyone wants to do everything. 
where uh, the guitarist, especially, I'm sorry, I'm going to talk shit about the guitarists, but many a time, a lot of guitarists, you know, they're like, oh, I want to be the center of attention kind of thing. Whereas I'm the, op- I'm of the opposite. I'm like, yeah, I'm happy, you know, yeah. just doing what serves the song rather than what serves me. Yeah. Which I think all of us do that, which is why it works, you know. We understand each other, I think, there. It's yeah. kind of like, because we understand um you know i mean obviously we've been doing this i say a while um with this the band that we are today we've been for like five six years um and then um the some of us go further back like john and leo actually have known each other since they were like three or four years old um so they've not they've not been in a band that long that would be quite that would be interesting that um, would be like the dance moms or whatever that show is oh you know, god where... <laughs> it's like yeah. that that but like really experimental diverse like progressive like rock like imagine that yeah i mean we started pretty young to be fair doing stuff at like 13 years old me and Leo, like, with other members and stuff. So we were kind of young when you think about it. But, so what you're saying is yeah. you're a prodigy. No, <laughs> I'm saying we're, like, crazy enough to think this is... To, I guess they we're, were a bit delusional. at the time. Oh, yeah, we're bit, yes. Yeah, we're a bit delusional, I guess, that, you know, this can turn into something. We, we always had the big dreams, let's put it that way. There you so. go, hey. If you if you weren't like that as as a preteen, like what were you doing in life? You know, like I I have songs that I wrote when I was ten years old that I hope never ever ever see the light of day because they are profoundly embarrassing. Um, but yeah, and they were very poppy and and it, it would okay yeah. <laughs> it is fun though because it's like because I mean I've been part of the picture. I mean, we weren't Jen at the time, of course, but I've been part of the picture in terms of like playing with um, John and Leo since we were, because we're all about the same age, since we were 18. So, um, but I knew like, you when we were 16. Well, yeah, no, because I was, I, I was seeing them play in the project that I then joined for two years before that point. So it's like, yeah, my God, 10 years ago. Um, so it's kind of like over the years we've very much um you know we i think we very much understand each other like as people as musicians what people like how people like um char- like to characterize themselves in writing and the space they like to occupy like john said i can be a bit insufferable where it's like you know if one note can do i'm gonna play 10 uh Okay, it's not that bad. I'm a recovering overplayer. It's fine. I promise. <laughs> um, but yeah, like it's something that's it's something you do have to, you know, compatibility in that sense is it's not something you just have with anyone. I mean, a good, you know, like say a good sessionist can probably like weave or, you know, like they can make it work. But in terms of like something you have a creative investment in, I think. It's not something that you can do with just anyone. And it's, I'm always grateful to be, you know, like in a, like in, in a partnership such as this, where it very much feels like uh, a bond for life in a weird way, you know, like the, we're all penguins who have brought our little pebbles to give each other a, the, 
if you don't know that thing about penguins proposing with pebbles, that doesn't oh, make I know. sense. But like, I I know, okay. and it's awesome. It's awesome. You you yeah. you've like mated for life. Yeah. Um. I want to get into some really nerdy shit for a minute. Um. Cause, cause I love nerdy shit. There's some like really cool literary references across this record um either very direct ones or ones where it just feels like picking up a vibe from certain places i mean eloise if i'm not mistaken i mean i just googled and and kind of assumed but there's like a like i want to say like medieval like writer who's named eloise is that like based off her at all like that the name comes from or? i think it's based on uh, the the film portrait of a oh, okay. lady on fire is yeah, one of but, the characters named Eloise in that yeah, movie? Yeah, yeah, Eloise. Oh. That's that was kind of um, the OG idea, I believe. But yeah, I mean, Leo is a film nerd, so she gets a lot of inspiration from film and literature. French New Wave, especially. Yeah, that makes so, a lot of sense. That that she yeah, or, we're we're stupid not... next to her and this kind of stuff. Literally, <laughs> no, not stupid, but, but like I love watching movies. But she's really like she's the definition of an artist, kind of. I love her. Where yeah, Leo where... goes really hard there. Where like they um, in fact, when you ask for influences, it's always um poetry or written words and films and not so much like music influences in their case because it's quite like um like isn't it john do you know any specific stuff that comes to mind there yeah um i mean the the, the people that she mentions are usually like sartre romer eric romer mm. thus romeres kind of yep um anias varda I do I think those are like three of the main ones on this record. Um and then I know at a point she was reading like, you know, Japanese ex existential writers as well. Um I forgot their name, sorry, I don't wanna butcher anyone's name. It's okay. But, yeah, um she she's very much, you know, she she get as Le Leanne said, she gets her influences from from that side of things. Yeah. So you so you you pick things up um you picked it up basically <laughs> got it yeah i will say even though like i haven't seen portrait of a lady on fire but this this woman eloise that i ended up googling shockingly fitting even though she's has nothing to do with this record because oh, wow. she was like like a medieval she ended up being like very high up in the catholic church but then simultaneously wrote a lot about like sensuality and romance she was married to a man for a long time so i don't know the whole church don't I, I have no idea um i didn't read everything in the wikipedia article but she was a lot of her ideas were like very progressive around like love and sensuality and like like the female experience for its time so it was kind of like this again it kind of like weirdly accidentally works as well um Another one, you mentioned a lot of French literature. Um, so like I said, I'm from Montreal. So like yes. in high school, I had to read this stuff. Um, and when I was reading the the words to Apparition number seven, like even though I haven't read as much of like the new wave French stuff, I did have to read like poems from like Baudelaire and like Arthur Rimbaud. And then in my like hometown, we have a very famous poet named Emile Nelligan. And it's all this very like kind of 
ghostly, macabre, sort of very existential, like, stuff. I guess just French people are just existential as fuck. Um, Yeah. And always have been. But it just reminded me of some of the stuff that I would be reading in school. And it's beautiful, beautiful poetry. Yeah, it's um, it's it's something that Leo does so well. I think it's, they, um, I I always do my best um, to kind of like absorb as much as I can from like hearing them speak about it, so that um, to, to to relay it effectively. Um, but like I know that um, a lot of there's a lot of like um, so focus on things like personifying, like again, like more abstract concepts and kind of like painting, painting painting with words i sound like um that sounded so pretentious i mean I like it. sort of in the sense of like um using like very visually driven wording and stuff and being like you know like not not being as far from surface level as possible but then also like in a way that really helps um deliver the message anyway because it's kind of like it it pushes for the idea that you know like instead of trying to distill things into um, concepts into as few words as possible you know like distill feelings and like you know again reconciling with the self like we were saying earlier you're instead uh, you know like it's being communicated in almost a more universal way because I think images images can convey almost better than words in that sense sometimes and I mean it's a bit paradoxical because obviously that's still wording but hopefully I've made some sense out of it oh you totally uh... have yeah I mean like you know it's like from my like little like interpretive brain you know on the surface it might be a little harder for me to crack it because it's not saying here is exactly what this song is about and it's in a literal sense but over the years, I've learned to really value and appreciate these sort of more abstract feeling songs because it's like they can hit on these sort of like corners of your subconscious that sometimes the more literal stuff can't. And it's not to say that I don't also love a lot of literal songwriting. I will like I have all kinds of like spiels about the things I like about that. But it's I, I've really learned to kind of fall back in love with the way that it can again. It just it hits on things that we don't always have words for, you know. Yeah, and I think something that Leo mentions a lot, and I think we also kind of discuss between us, um, is the per like how um she personifies nature, so the element of the sea, and you know nature, and the sea is very kind of a central theme in a way, um, even in our kind of first EP, it was a big thing because the cover was actually a half person half fish kind of anthropomorphic figure uh, i i think it's like since obviously we come from an island we live in brighton which is a seaside town um that connection to the sea it's it's a big thing and like in apparitions there's that bit soft leaves old waves that quiver the shores yeah. um yeah i guess kind of there's that connection to kind of that primal part in us that you know, many a time we kind of forget the simple stuff in life or those pockets of joy that come from nature. And yeah, I guess it's also a big thing in her writing, the way she personifies the sea. And I guess it also matches with the music because, um, you know, we use a off kind, kind of soundscape sounds in the background and also in the foreground in some songs. So that connection to nature is also brought 
like it's like a full circle moment in a way yeah i think bringing up calypso right now is probably also quite perfect because i feel like that's the epitome of that image yeah yeah that's that's why yeah that's why i brought it up yeah it's so i mean it's all of it you know i was and I like that even though I think it, it really touches on Sophia's like Jamaican heritage, I think because like the Greek myth of Calypso also exists. And it, I, I'm guessing that Leo is pulling a lot from that because it's like this idea of like a mermaid like creature, like luring someone in. Um, but that also kind of regionally sits very close to the rest of the band's heritage as well, which is kind of cool. Yeah, so actually, um, I started writing Calypso in my old flat. Like, I have a very clear, mem- like, core memory of writing that song. I think there was a point in time where, while we were writing all of this, where I was feeling really ho- homesick, and you know? not homesick, nostalgic. I guess this kind of nostalgia, um, for things that happened and things that could have happened if I stayed back home for example um, and there was also this kind of identity thing going on like not knowing where I personally sit and you know in the UK or as an immigrant you know you, you always like have that kind of immigrant experience of fitting in in a progressive city such as Brighton but then not actually fitting in in other ways um, and yeah, I was listening to a lot of Mediterranean and folk music, uh, Mediterranean and Maltese folk music. Um, and I'm like, hmm, maybe I could, you know, use this in a way uh, to interpret all these feelings and to kind of drop on that, you know, unique experience of being from the Mediterranean, of being from a small island, of being from a post-colonial place as well. And yeah, it came about randomly. Um, I didn't think it would fit in at all because it's a bit more folky, I guess, and it's a bit more quiet. But then I sent it to Leo and she immediately liked it. And she, I'm like, yeah, I think we should call it Calypso because... Um, uh, the uh, Greek uh, myth of Calypso was actually set in one of the Maltese islands. Oh, wow. So, yeah, yeah, so that's why, um, like, so Malta is made up of three main islands, Malta, Gozo and Camino. And as, you know, according to this myth, uh, the the nymph Calypso, she was in... She she did all the, the whole... This whole story happened on the island of Gozo which is called Ortigia, I believe, um, in uh, in Greek mythology. So, and my mom's from there, so oh, I'm wow. very familiar with the, there's a specific area that's kind of, it's a bit of a tourist trap, but it's beautiful, where they say that Calypso, you know, was living during that time, you know. So, yeah, that's how it kind of came about. Mm. Um, yeah, that's, that. and uh, she kind of used this whole um, story to, you know, um, to create the setting for the lyrics, I believe, because it gives off that vibe that there's something almost mythical mm-hmm. or mythological. There's that siren, you know, siren, siren vibe, or as the kids say it nowadays, hashtag siren core or some mermaid oh, core. God. Oh God! <laughs> as the Gen, as the Gen Z can say it. Oh Gen Z! It's also hashtag worth. <laughs> It's worth dropping in as well that, like, lyrically speaking, um, Leo did draw influence from, um, in terms of, like, the 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 way that it was written, like, drew influence from a Maltese poet named Mariotto Pardi, who mm. um, I know that 
Leo has very like is also really heavily inspired by um I think it's it's one of those things that like you know it presents itself in other songs as well but then this was one that was very sort of uniquely like you know it uh, it, it it does condense a lot of like um the the feelings around you know like identity and heritage as far as you know where we come from goes yeah I think I think it's such a perfect encapsulation because there's another thing when I was reading about it, like, you know, Calypso, she kind of lured in Homer and like kept her kept him with her for seven years. But no matter what she did, the desire to go home never left him. Yeah. And yeah. So, yeah, it kind of feels like everything you're saying of like no matter like whether you try and stay in one place or not, like home always calls you back in some way. Yeah, like this kind of sense of what is home, where is home, you know, kind of finding a home within yourself and within your kind of your chosen family. Yeah, so yeah, you definitely interpreted that one correctly. Yay! <laughs> I, I try. I really try. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, I guess the last things to really touch on are the kind of last three songs. I yeah, will say... Because they are as beautifully abstract as they are, they were the ones that trumped me the most of like trying to like do my interpretive investigation. I'm guessing the title of Merchant of comes from the Merchant of Venice. I'm I'm guessing just because it's it seems um, like it. So I I I adore that song very much. I'm not yeah. allowed to. I shouldn't pick favorites. Picking a favorite child is very naughty. But oh, it's fine. um. The Merchant of, which is the second song we wrote, by the way. It was oh, wow. one of the first, it, we, like, it and Romeras were, like, the tone setters, I think, for everything else that followed. Um, but yes, it's I, I, I love it. It's my baby. Um, but <laughs> lyrically speaking, it is actually very inspired by working a call center job. Um, oh, wow. <laughs> which is, yeah, so that, it's that, that is what the Merchant, is of and it's quite like well it's not obviously the concepts are not uniquely tied to that it's very much the sort of like um telling yourself basically of, yeah exactly tell. like this it's, it's like an almost like a bit of a psychological rut and, and and how with so many of these jobs that you're stuck doing and not even necessarily jobs like position that you, uh, positions that you can end up in where you're kind of like your personhood and your identity is a bit stripped away from you and i think that's it's very much um what that song's about the kind of like you know um again one of the last like lines in it is i'm just a number which is very very much like the embodiment of what what's being communicated there just it is i'm just it one is of soul many. crushing <laughs> i'm just one of many yeah sorry that's what i meant to say yeah. I, I i i um translated it without uh, actually saying the words right yes thank you it's all good and then how i guess does the sister of which is quite literally its sister song like how does it connect back to the merchant of I think stylistically, mostly, um, it connects with the sister of just because I, I think when we're writing it sonically, even before we um, knew what the lyrics were going to be, because by the way, we only know what the lyrics are going to be after Leo records the lyrics. Mm. So it's kind of a secret. We don't <laughs> even know what's going to happen. 
she she goes into the recording booth and just records and we're like oh we actually do we actually ever know what she's gonna record i don't oh really God. sometimes you know when we do demos i guess but for a lot of these songs we didn't know what she was gonna do so as you can see there's a level of trust a leap of faith yeah, yeah um so uh, the sister of is quite interesting actually because i think it's kind of um its message was really elevated by the video um, short film that we did with Kirill Volovich, um, who's a Ukrainian filmmaker. And he actually managed to capture all of this that we're talking about uh, in a short film that we collaborated, that he did, you know, together with his team in Ukraine uh, during the war. Um, yeah, the sense of, you know, lost home, the sense of, obviously, you know, the war situation, the sense of identity that I, a lot of Ukrainians found because of the war, for example, especially the young people. So, yeah, again, you know, with the merchant of, there's a sense of, you know, you're selling kind of your soul, um, you know, to do something that's kind of mundane. Whereas in the sister of, especially with the music video, how I interpret it as it is, is that finding that sense of normalcy in the chaos. Um, it felt like a obvious. rumination after yeah. the fact as well, in yeah. a way. Mm. But, but yeah, I think it, 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 we, we say that it's a sister song just because stylistically it's kind of along the same lines. Nice. Um, and yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, it also happened kind of coincidentally, and then we're like, oh, wow, these two actually really work well together. Unum is available now wherever you normally get your music. This podcast is hosted, edited, and produced by myself, Sophia Lopercaro, and the artwork is by Meg Welford. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, the trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.